Justin Gray back with me on the channel. Hello. To talk about splitting pulp and I eat monsters. And, yes. And Billy the Kit trade paperback out today. So yeah. lots of things to talk about tonight. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Something just exploded on the street behind me. I have no idea what it was, but oh, that was kind of odd. Um, yeah, Billy <laughs> the Kit is uh, just wow. I just can't believe 2017 me is as a 2022 <laughs> trade paperback of this crazy book that we just kind of were having yeah. fun making. It's <laughs> so much fun. You just, you just never know what, you know, like I just do what I do and then whatever happens, happens. Like I tried to have plans and I'm like strategically thinking like, okay, this is the thing. And doesn't, you know, like I, at a certain point I was like, let me just enjoy what I'm doing. And yeah. then everything else will just have to sort itself out because that's, I, I can't predict what, what is, ever going to be the thing that that resonates most with people so it's it's wild you never never can guess um shout out to uh circumstances who was with us last time hey, hey what's going on and barry were on uh yep. yeah merry weekly christmas exactly <laughs> uh and shout out to michael who got the the awesomeness no prize for being first in the chat <laughs> oh that's great um but yeah um so thanks for coming back on. Um, thanks for having me, especially short notice. I appreciate it. Just kind of throwing this thing together last minute. Yeah. I was like, I got no interviews lined up this week. Let's let's talk. Um, I will always fill those gaps for you. If you need someone to come on and embarrass themselves or <laughs> do crazy things, I'll come on and do that. Sure. Yeah. And so the Kickstarter you got going on right now is for issue two of Bleeding Pulp. Yes. And has issue two of I Eat Monsters in it, which fantastic fantastic read thank you um at first i was like where are the monsters you start yeah. reading it and then once once that part hits i'm like i i'm having so much fun with this story yeah it's, it's i i always look back and i'm like i should have done something sooner um because i fight with myself about a slow build to a, to an explosive opening and you know the hollywood thing if you don't grab in the first 15 minutes then they're going to be bored, but I also really appreciate things that kind of creep up on you. And, mm -hmm. and I really like defying expectations with, with projects. I really like somebody to look at something and it's, it's not the most beneficial thing because everything's so marketing driven that, um, you know, if you, if you try and say, well, oh, it looks like this, but it's really, once you get into it, I, I like the discovery of going, oh, I didn't expect it to be this way, but a lot of people right. are trained by movie trailers and other things to be like, I know I need to know exactly what I'm getting if I'm going to, you know, be invested in this thing. I, I think, but I think you got the right amount in there for the hook, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, you want to be hooked by the end of the first issue in, in most sure. cases, I guess, I guess if you did like a, a two issue release at a time, you could get a slower build. But even but, then I really want there to be like so much happening in that because like i do standstill two issues at a time through kickstarter yeah. and um i really want been... i, I want to keep people like invested all the time whether it's a small moment or a big explosive moment um just to have something going on all the time or multiple things going on all the time uh, is important to me just creatively and that's yeah that's what i'm doing with i'll say with standstill i felt like there was the overall story having a slow build but there was individual moments that were explosive, lots of drama going on that kept you saying, okay, what, 
what is happening? Right. Like, what's going to happen next? What big thing is going to pop in here? But you can get that slow build of the overall story arc happening, which I, I appreciate that. I think um, when you were talking about the slow build before, the book I've read, I think that I love that the most was Autumnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that came from Vault. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah, exactly. That's a great slow build book, and the artwork is fantastic. And the mood, it's, yeah. it's, the artwork is really helping everything build that mood. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes, um, sometimes that's serendipitous. Sometimes that's just methodically planned. Um, yeah. But I feel like that's such an organic book. Um, oh yeah, I'm definitely in in awe of how they. You know, I got lost in like leaves. Yes. And, and I think that that's such a testament to what they're doing with that book. And, and I, I, you know, that's, that's what I want from an experience. And I hope to provide that to other people that you become so immersed in it that you're not picking, you know, you don't need 20 years of continuity. You don't need Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. You don't need all these other sort of handicap tools that help a story come along in a way that's not to me, organic it's exciting i mean i love to see those in certain respects but it's also not a fresh experience um as a a reader or viewer or whatever however i consume whatever they're giving us it's nice that it's nice to be surprised and to 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 go into a world that you're not familiar with that's what i yes i agree with you totally what's interesting is like i i actually first heard your name from billy the kid which you've done years of, of Marvel, DC, all kinds of stuff prior to that. I feel where, like it's like a past life that you yeah, just kind of, you know, yeah. it's like a business card in a sense compared to where I am now. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. To, to, yeah. to I guess, show it's like, hey, I've, I've done all this kind of thing, like keeping it on the, the right. And they keep people like, oh, like you're, you're, you're out there, you're doing stuff. Yeah, I've done some stuff and, you know, with different varying levels of success, you know, I've had bombs, I've had hits, I've had, you know, enough things where, you know, it's it's nice, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, the yeah. downside of that is when I'm at a convention, I'm sitting there with all these books that you know about, and someone comes up who remembers the DC stuff or the Marvel stuff, and they go, well, what are you working on? Because there's a void there. There's a sense yeah. of, like, if it's not known to me through these channels, then it doesn't exist, which is kind of unfortunate. And it's so weird, like in in the comic reading world, people are either, there's either the the people that read everything. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where sometimes I am, but I tend to go more indie. And then there's the people are like all DC, all Marvel or all both. You have the camps and the tribes and the entrenched readers and yeah. When, When you come across those people, how often do they end up, you know, saying, oh, well, I loved your writing. I'll, I'll try your indie stuff. Or do they just say, oh, you don't have any DC or Marvel coming up? I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Like you like what you like and sometimes it's comfort food. So you don't want to deviate from it. You don't want to be disappointed or you don't want to, you know, I mean, those things I was talking about earlier about the, the sort of the mile markers in a storytelling process that people are so familiar with. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, you know, that is the comfort food. That is the cheeseburger and, and shake and whatever. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but from a creative standpoint, I'm kind of like, well, you know, maybe I want to go out here and do something, you know, completely different and, and see, you know, see who's out there that's interested in that. Um, but, yeah. 
try something new. Yeah. I mean, it's just, is it is the way that it is. Some people just are entrenched in, you know, those universes and anything outside of them are just kind of, it's the same thing with like Kickstarter where it's not real. It's not really making comics. It's, you know, it's not legitimate. And um, you but, know, at this point, if you haven't done it, yeah, if you, if you haven't made comics professionally and indie wise, then you don't understand. Like you, there's a lot in there that's not known to you. There was a lot there that wasn't known to me, even though I was working at, you know, DC and, 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 you know, several other well-established, well-known brands. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say from the reader side, when I started picking up some Kickstarter comics, it was people whose books I was already reading that were coming out on the shelves and that got me mm -hmm. into that world. And then, Oh, I think it was, I, I met, um, a creator at a, a con last year and he was doing like, he's only on Kickstarter stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was it. And then I started Kickstarter, like so many every month now I'm almost, I'm almost at a hundred Kickstarters wow. uh, for comics. I had a couple sure. here and there for other stuff, but no, I get that. There's, there's just so much, so much good stuff out there. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, I like the risk reward factor of it for, you know, as a consumer, I like to, you know, discover people and, and some of them are super raw and some of them are super polished and it's kind of interesting to see like, you know, you have diamonds in the rough and you have people that just need like a little bit of help and, and, um, you know, it's interesting too, like dealing a couple of years back, I would talk to publishers and, and, and some of the smaller publishers were like, well, go do a Kickstarter, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, it's a double-edged sword. They're like, oh, let's go see what you can do in the Kickstarter market to see if whether or not it's worth our time to pick up the book to do it yeah. in, you know, whatever perception of that market is. And um, I think for a lot of people, you just have such a sliding scale of, of creators working in that. But the fact of the matter is that them having that outlet is amazing. Yeah compared Absolutely. to when I was trying to break into comics, you know? Yeah. There's now that we can test how well you're going to sell and you sell well on Kickstarter, you'll sell well on. But you also can get a book out there that you would never be able to get out there unless yeah. you were like riding your bike to six or seven shops, you know, and hand, you know, handing yeah. them to a, you know, a store owner and making a relationship there. And even then you're not, you don't have the distribution or the, you know, the, you can't reach as many people. So. Yeah. And now we have, uh, we have a second kind of thing out there. Zoop. I've backed one or two things on there that try, they're trying to do something like Kickstarter, but specific to comics. It seems like right now. Well, there, I mean, the, the guys behind, I, you know, I don't know them personally, so, you know, I'm not going to go too far into depth in that every it's funny in the last year I've been approached by so many different, um, people and, business models and things like that of, of them saying, you know, how, you know, they recognize comics as this thing. And sometimes, cause we've seen this forever, they recognize comics as a potential for whatever it is, whether it's generating IPs, whether it's long-term investments and in money, or whether it's for the people that just want to start a comic book company and don't really know that much about it. Um, which I always equate back to, I had worked for several restaurants where the owners were just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a restaurant? And then with like within two years, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we could still have that restaurant? 
because they don't know anything about the industry and they dumped all this money into it and they were super excited about it and they had all their friends come and, and right. um, so when I look at it, I just think you have to do the best work you can do regardless of what platform it's on or who's right. you know, publishing it or whatever. And there's a lot of different rules and a lot of different sliding scales for that. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just really grateful for the people that come out and support me on Kickstarter because yeah. these books don't really, they don't exist outside of, you know, they, they're files on my computer in my office and I go, wouldn't it be great if somebody could read Bleeding Pulp? And, um, yeah. but thanks to everyone that backs these projects and, and makes it happen for me. And I, I can't thank them enough. Yeah. And uh, Bleeding Pulp 2 is, doing excellent right now on Kickstarter. Um, yeah, and this is a nutty month. I mean, I, this is just one of the busiest months I think I've seen since I've been doing Kickstarter. Like, there's like a handful of people who haven't done them yet this month, and like everyone else seems to be doing them from, from <laughs> art books to first-time people uh, with a huge following behind them Yeah, to, you know, things like Legendary, um, you know, the, you know, that's a whole other thing, but you know, whatever brings you <laughs> to the, if you come to Kickstarter because of one thing, hopefully, you know, you're looking at all the different books that are available there and all the different levels of things um, where you can support other books that might surprise you. Yeah. So, I mean, it, again, issue two looking, looking just as awesome as issue one was how many pages was this one? Was the same um, that one's going to be 60 pages. The first one was uh, 56 and this is going to be 60. Okay. Um, right. And with this one, it's this, it, what I like to do is I like to have a main story that's serialized. So I, I imagine I eat monsters will be six issues as a complete story. Okay. But within that issue one and two of bleeding pulp has a complete story um, with one of the earlier versions of a character called the road, Witch, who's Madame Badam in this. Um, so I want to do a 19, I, I, you know, as much as I, you know, I like the, the, um, history of certain things like DC comics, you have these characters spread out over time. So it was kind of fun to take this character who's been alive for over 360 years and say, Oh, like I can now do a 1930s HP Lovecraft story with this character, or I can do a, a 1990 story or whatever. So that's what I do with that. And so it's a complete two part story. It's 40 pages. Chef. And, um, you know, I like to give people complete stories. I like to have people feel like they're getting something for their investment because this isn't going to the shop and picking up 16 books the same way it is. Like these are, you know, they're expensive to make, they're expensive to print, they're expensive to ship. So I want people to feel like they're getting something that feels like a mini trade, but has more pages in it and is serialized. Yeah. For the, everyone watching live right now, I've dropped the link in the chat. It's also should be down below. If not, I'll make sure that's there later. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the I eat monsters story. When I was reading it, it felt like was there like a break and then we kind of came back to it, or was it all together? That that do you know what I'm talking about? I scripted it almost almost in a day. The first issue. Um, but the funny thing is the idea was in a file that I was cleaning out, uh, a, a Toshiba external drive and I saw it and I was like, wait, what was that that I did? And I opened it up and, um, I was like, 
oh my god why has this been sitting here for so long and, the, and, it, and it wasn't just that it was like the idea was initially sort of like ghostbusters for adults and then yes the Torini variant is just wow I, yeah mm. that might be part of i might added it on yeah <laughs> i think I mean, it's it was a foil version right um, there is a foil version, very limited yeah. number of those. I mean, I, I like to, to to at least add something that has value that isn't going to be, you know, sometimes there's not more than 50 of them at all, ever, because that's just how it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was an idea. It was like Ghostbusters for adults. And then I had sat on it for so long uh, that I was like, no, no, this this shouldn't be this. This should be um, what I Eat Monsters is. And it's it's kind of... It's horror, but it's also a sort of fun. It's not, I wouldn't say campy, but it, it can come close to campy. But in the that. sense of, of, like, I wanted to do this character in Annabelle who was essentially like you, you become what you eat. Like you are what you eat. You know, that health trend of all that yeah. stuff. And I thought it would be interesting to have a character that was wrestling with almost an addiction to something and still trying to be the hero of their own story. And um, that's where that started to take shape. So I literally sat down and I just blew through the script on the first draft. And then I think that break around page 22 or whatever, mm -hmm. where it jumps um, forward in time, I looked at doing that a couple, I was going to move that to the front. I was going to move that to the middle and I kept toying with where, with where that should go. But then I thought, no, just, you know, we already know it's, it's, you know, I love she the, is who she is. The way that you do the, you know, like the monster blood spatter there, yeah. the transition page. Just Thanks. Cause that was totally accidental. Time. I was like, I had an odd number of pages and there's a double page spread <laughs> in there. And I was like, Oh no, I've got this gap page and I don't want to just throw like advertising in there. So, and then, then that all of a sudden it just took off. So I do it in issue two. I do it in issue three when I introduce Lugatia, which is a the second backup story that shows up nice. in the book. Um, and See, when, when you said you did it accidentally, I thought you were making it and then you killed a monster. The blood <laughs> just spattered onto the page and, you know, the rest is history. And you're like, yep, that's it. There's, there's a, you can't off camera. There's just monster carcasses everywhere. It's, <laughs> it smells in here. I definitely got to clean tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. lot. A lot of room for humor with the concept for sure uh the the one thing though that took a little personally i'm a florida gator fan <laughs> and however that that score is probably pretty accurate 42 to nothing <laughs> alabama over florida so i I can, I can forgive it but yeah it's not it's not anything personal and i'm not a gator fan or a um tide fan but i wanted to set it in the South and I wanted it to, to have a different kind of flavor from some of the other stuff I've mm -hmm. been doing. And, um, I just thought, you know, why not, you know, I always like to do stuff outside of my own likes or dislikes or whatever. I, I like to write characters who are not me. And, um, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'll do this thing. And then I had no idea that Alabama was going to lose the national championship to Georgia. And like the same day that this thing is like funded, which was kind of funny to me. Um, yeah. But I mean, it also that, that little piece of information right there sets the scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're probably in Alabama. 
seems to be rooting on Alabama. So, like, just a little touch like that. Well, there's, like, other stuff that happens, too, like when you get yeah. into issue three where you start to see um, this sort of – I don't want to – I can't spoil it, but <laughs> for, for people that will follow that, they'll see that there's a reason why certain things happen the way they happen in locations. And, you know, I really wanted to do, a, a, you know, like a Southern Gothic kind of bizarro monster thing. Um and then I love, you know, I love her attitude. I love, I want also wanted to do a character who wore cowboy hat and boots. That was a girl that was, or a woman or whatever. Um, yeah. Where it was just kind of visually fun. Cause you know, a lot of times if I'll reach out to an artist and I'll say, well, you know, this character does this. They're like, well, what's the uniform? What's the costume? And I'm always like, women like to change their clothes. They don't like to wear the same thing all the time. You know, I know Ariana Huffington has like uniform and, and I know that there are certain women who do that. Um, Lori from Shark Tank, they definitely have a thing where they have to have a uniform. But I was like, in general, and I learned that from Amanda. That was like one of her, I didn't learn it from her, but it was like one of her jokes. Amanda Connor was always like, you know, I wouldn't wear the same outfit every day over and over again. And I always thought that was kind of fun, uh, a fun thing to look at. It was, speaking of Amanda Connor, it's actually, I realized. So you were also part of the um, Harley and Power Girl series, right? Yep. I worked on the, that crossover with them. We brought back some of the elements that, because Jimmy, Amanda, and I worked on Power Girl, we brought some of the Power Girl elements into that um, miniseries with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually had read that probably somewhere around when it released. Um, I have no idea where it is now. Mm -hmm. Around a bunch, but... I, I came to that realization today that I was like, I actually read some of your DC stuff back then. You know, those were the books that like towards the, you know, I started out really super serious and I was trying to do like very serious stuff. And then all of a sudden I was kind of like embracing the ridiculousness of yeah. these things. I mean, that I remember um, so fun. a major editor was like, we do not make fun of the characters. <laughs> I was like, well, maybe you should tell James Gunn that as he's making you millions of dollars making fun of your characters because it's not malicious. It actually endears people to the quirks of those characters as opposed to because I always used to call Hawkman chicken boots. And, you know, then people get offended or whatever. I'm like, it's they look like chicken. boots. Like, like, would you walk out of your house in chicken boots every yeah. day to fight crime? Probably not. But, you know. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what we ended up doing with Power Girl. And, and that's what I try and infuse some of the humor into these books um, from that, from that sensibility. Yeah. Trying to make it fun for everyone and not just make, you know, make everything so serious and dark and. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's got those dark elements, of course it is. It does have that, that horror, but you got to have fun with it at the same time. And this right here is the, uh, Tarini variant that we were talking about here, the uh... cowboy boots and hat. Yep. Yeah, it was funny because I just, I mean, there are some artists that we're, we'll talk all the time and there'll be layout after layouts and we'll go through things. And and Marco was just kind of like sent me a mock-up and I was like, wow, that's kind of weird looking. <laughs> and then it was like um, when you, when you hyper-focus a camera. So he sent me like the blurred version of it because it was so much more detailed than just than just a layout sketch or idea. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, how's this gonna go? 
And then it was like he focused it in, and I was like, this is so strange and yet interesting. And the the, the face that he gave her, the, the work he did on that is great. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's panties and cowboy boots, but still, I mean, and the all, oven. All the details. Over, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to cook your monsters appropriately before you eat them, right? Well, that was like the joke, like Antonio Vandal and I. I'd be like, uh, let's um, let's have fun with like old vintage cooking pinups. Yeah. And so we did a bunch of those, and then we add more. And this time, I was like, let's do cupcakes and baking, and and you know, I worry that they're like, oh, look, it's this weird cupcake eating monster comic, but I also <laughs> want to like have fun with it and say, you know, like. Right. I don't want to do like a Spider-Man cover homage from 1990 or whatever. I want to do something if, that makes it unique. If I see another Amazing Spider-Man 300 homage. Right. Just... Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but you know, like I, for me, I wanted to try and do different stuff. You know, I remember the last supper was a thing that everybody's has been doing since, I mean, I remember Dan DeDio did it. I can't remember where it was. It was uh, 52 or count. Oh, I can't remember which yeah. one. So, you know, so that, you know, they go through trends and stuff, but. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a new ASM 300, like every week though, mm -hmm. that, that pops up. So that, yeah. that, that's the one that always gets me. Um, it's so like, recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. And so you just see it all the time, but there could be other ones that are getting homage just as frequently that just kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Well, I remember we did um, on Spicy Pulp 4, I wanted to do a Jason Hellstrom, a Hellstrom uh, homage cover with the Road Witch. And I thought that was fun. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's like I always, I sometimes I'm like, let me find the most homage homage cover I can find. And then I usually get exhausted. You know, 20 minutes later, I'm like, right, why am I doing this? Like, I just want people to come up with their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're going to do an homage, just pick something like, completely random mm -hmm. that's never never been homage before and people will just not understand it's an homage but it's like i love this cover myself so right and i, I would look to like records and stuff for that like mm -hmm. old vintage records and things that were a little bit different yeah i think that would be cool i mean i'd be kind of cool if you saw like a marvel or dc universe do a sergeant pepper cover i don't know why that would be like you know if you did a hyper detailed version yeah. of it. I don't know. that'd be fun yeah. Uh, the, a question in the chat here. Um, I would say, uh, obviously, Jonah Hex. I, I, I can't tell you what an experience that was. Probably never to be created. It was just the most, it was the most indie comics thing I think you could do at a publisher, like the, which you couldn't do now. You, I, you, you, I don't imagine that um, the corporate overlords would let us have the amount of freedom that we had on that book. And we just picked art. We were like, what do you want to work with? All right, let's write a story that it's made for this person. Or we love this person's work. You know, I mean, it, almost all those scripts were written directly to the artist. I mean, I remember working on scripts for Darwin. I remember um, Jimmy worked very specifically on a script for Eduardo Riso. Um, I mean, we never got Mobius. And that would have been like probably the crowning achievement of my you know, mainstream work for that kind of company. Um, cool. But I mean, we worked with Dick Giordano. We worked with people who are no longer with us um, that I feel very proud of. And obviously Tony Dezunia, we worked with 
um, and you know, we helped we helped bring to life a story that he and John Albano had envisioned doing. Um, you know, he was. I was talking to Tony, and he had said, you know, we we always wanted to do a thing where Jonah Hex had a brother, and so we did the prior to the movie, we did a graphic novel, which was all about Jonah Hex and his brother. And um, I mean, there's so many people that I worked with on that book. It's just, it's un, it's unreal. Like if you would have told me going into comics that I was going to work with all those people, work with Jordi Brunet or J.H. Williams III, or, I mean, there's so many, I'm, like, I'm afraid to start naming names because I know I'm going to forget <laughs> people and then I'm going to feel guilty yeah. about it. Um, but as far as DC goes, I think Jonah Hex was the most cathartic and they literally, they literally left us alone. It was like an editor's dream to do that book because it was already done. We would have six or seven scripts. Wow. And because we used all these different artists, we could just have those things going. And there's scripts that we wrote that never even got made. When we did a, during all-star Western, there was a script that crossed over with Sergeant rock and Jonah Hex fighting Nazis in world war two because they were bouncing around through time because of booster gold and, and that never got made. It was sitting in a drawer somewhere. Um, it's like a fun story. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I don't even know where I don't have it anymore. I think it's like lost in my old computer files. And then for Marvel, I loved daughters of the dragon. I loved doing a 1970s black exploitation take on those characters with the cheesiest villains that they would let us use like eight ball and, and uh, whirlwind and pace pot Pete and, and just this whole idea of, of, you know, Misty Knight going through the sewer with a beatbox on her head playing um, Superfly in order to get all of the Mole Man's minions to come out. I thought it was hysterical. And then everybody owed them some favor. And I mean, that was a, that was a fun six issues and, and Carrie's artwork on it was, was perfectly suited to it. And because I loved those characters as a kid, I loved the sort of 70s street characters yeah. um, just as much as I loved all the main characters that everybody was familiar with. So those two books, I mean, for Marvel and DC, that's, you know, I would say that's probably, I mean, Power Girl obviously was a fun 12 issue thing. Yeah. Um, I liked Hawkman. I liked the run we did with uh, the story with the Golden Eagle and, um, and then our own stuff, you know, like Jimmy and I did stuff and my own stuff. And eventually I, I got into comics wanting to write something like the X-Men. I wanted to write my interpretation of the X-Men that I loved growing up. And some somehow I got into a point where I was like, I just want to write my own stuff. Like, like it, it, kind of, it kind of wore off being like the next person at bat. And it became, you know, I want to do different stuff. Thank God Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Now you have that freedom to explore whatever stories that you want. Yep. Now um, I can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like eat monsters. Eat monsters. <laughs> and some of the stuff I'm doing in standstill, I mean, the sperm cover alone for issue 10, oh. like that would never, I yeah. could have never sold on anybody on that. That was, that was, that was great. Yeah. Uh, and that, that storyline got a little dark. <laughs> That's why I like to back it up with the funny part about, Florida. You know, I got, I got some angry messages and stuff like about my Florida joke, but I was like, it's funny is I, re I, I don't remember when I read that, but I, I had taken like a, a picture of it and I was going to post that on Instagram. And then I saw you post it just the other day. And I was like that, that's hilarious. Uh, 
Yeah. So being from Florida, I was like, I mean, it's kind of true, though. Yeah. It's like that anywhere, though. I mean, you can point to any any place and go. Yeah. It's just nicer weather there, so you can get more people to come down. True. And, and, you know, Florida man's got his his, uh, notoriety there, so. Yeah, I'm sure there's Texas man and there's California man and, you know, New York had the naked cowboy and, you know, Mm. there's always, there's always something, but I I, I have, obviously I have family and friends who live in Florida and it's not anything personal. It's just, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put the target on your back, you know, you're going to get some shots. So, but that, that whole beat in that thing was, it was so dark. It was leading up to this like really like, emotionally draining moment. And then I was like, I was thinking about something Tarantino said about how you can get them to that point and you have to give a release. And I just thought that scene with Chad and Lisa and Dev would be like a breath of fresh air at the end of like this really dramatic um, series of events. So, Yeah. I mean, it, it worked. Is that manipulating people's emotions. <laughs> so in, in kind of in terms of your like kickstarter cycle is the next two which i know is that's supposed to wrap it up right for the first that'll be season one so once we get to issue 11 and 12 we'll wrap up season one and i'm already working on um i have like a whole sort of menagerie of scenes and character development bits that are written out probably enough for three issues and script wise that i just feel like what I really do with this book is take the pieces and move them around and rewrite them and, and refocus the pacing of it. And um, I tried to make an effort that every page turn would be a change in scenery, which is really hard to do consistently. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so that'll be, that'll be issue 12 and then between 11 and 12, that's 60 pages of comics content story. There's sequential art. There's not um, all the other stuff that goes into it. Um, and then I might, um, Branko's working on the backup for uh, Bleeding Pulp 3, which he already did. Um, the first, yeah, issue three is half done. Wow. And um, and that's Blue Geisha. So that's going to be the backup story to I Eat Monsters going forward. I think that might be three, maybe even four chapters as it seems to be working out. And, uh, you know, just that's the cycle. So I'll, I'll I'm going to do this. Um, we're doing the Kickstarter now for Bleeding Pulp 2 as Bleeding Pulp 3 is being worked on. And then, hey, Lewis. What's up, Lewis? And then, you know, it'll be the next two issues of Standstill, and then there'll be probably a hiatus. And there's another book that I started the preliminary stuff on that I have four scripts for, um, which is, it's going to be a difficult, I, I, don't, I, don't I don't know how I'm going to deal with this animal because it's like so over the top, like it's purposely meant to like upset people ah. but in a good way. It's meant to be very satirical. I feel like, I feel like people okay. don't do satire anymore. They're like, so everything is so offensive that they don't have the ability to step back and say, you know, Oh, wait a minute. There's something happening here. That's both funny and uncomfortable and also truthful. Yeah. And, um, and I think the only people that do that now are comedians. So, yeah, I feel like there was a point where people were doing satire and we were like, is this satire or is this what's happening in the world right now? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, when we hit that point, 
which I think we've stepped a little bit away from that. It's like, I think mean, that's what, what I think like Saturday night live is that it was not funny because it was, it was, it was mirroring the exact reality we were living. Yeah. In. It was no longer absurd. It yeah. was just sort of like, I, I don't know how you do that. Like it was, it was life was absurd and your sketch was exactly <laughs> life. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And now, now we've, we're still we're still a little absurd right now with the world, but mm-hmm. um, it, there's there's sometimes moments where I, I'm like, okay, it's kind of life again. You know, you can walk to your comic shop and or drive to your comic shop and pick up your comics. You can go to work and things are somewhat normal. But so I think that, that satire becomes better when we have less absurdity in real life. Sure. Um, you know, you're like getting people ready for it. I don't think I don't think enough people got everyone ready for the last four or five years. I think a lot of people got blindsided by it. Yeah, um, and and it became mean spirited too. Instead of, you know, I keep going back to my reference on this is Jonathan Swift, and how you know he was 17 whatever when he wrote you know, mm-hmm. you know feed your babies to the rich, and that'll solve all your problems. Yeah. Um, and he did it anonymously because he knew people were going to freak out. I mean, this is a time when they still burn people for witchcraft. So yeah. to, to suggest that the answer to all your societal problems is just to feed the poor kids to the rich people must have been outlandish. And I think we lost some of that. But it's also you can step back at it and look at, well, he's really making a statement here instead of eat the rich, which is what came out of that later on. Yeah. Um, or the stuff that happens in Gulliver's Travels and the sort of poking fun at British aristocracy. Um, I think we've lost, we've lost the ability to do that. So I'm hoping that with this comic, I can find some way to, to make that more absurd and yet more relatable in, in certain ways. Like one of them I already had to take out um, because of what just happened yesterday, because it's just, but then again, like if it's six months or eight months from now, are we just going to be numb to it again? You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to get all serious, but yeah, you know, like there are things we need to to address in a way that, like I said, comedy does it really well. I mean, Dave Chappelle does a lot of satirical stuff. Bill Burr does a lot of satirical stuff on a, on a social level. Um, you know, it's not heavy handed into preaching. Yeah, no. moonlit. Uh, yeah, it's. It's one of those things, like you said, with, you know, events that happened yesterday in Texas, it, if six months from now, nothing's changed, nothing's addressed it, maybe we do need that, right? Well, the reason why I even wrote that, that story was because of um, Sandy Hook. I mean, I still, my, my daughter was the same exact age and the same exact grade when that happened. Yeah, and it was just unfathomable to me, and I'm still mad at them. I'm still mad at why I, I watched the re- I, again. I don't want to get into a big political thing. I'm just saying when I'm looking at the reaction, the overall reaction to something so horrific, to, as to say, well, this is a sustainable loss, and to me, it's not because it's no. just it's unacceptable. If we find what happens in Ukraine unacceptable, then we should find what happens here equally unacceptable. And I'm not I don't want to soapbox or anything. I just think human life is. There's such hypocrisy that somewhere in there, when I get mad, I like try to channel it creatively. And so that's what 
yeah. some of the stuff came out of for that book. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we don't have to to go to it too into it. I hundred percent agree with what you're saying. You know that that um, really is it's, it's important to talk about. It's important to keep the you know the thoughts that we are concerned about this out there over and over and over until something does change. Cause. Sure. And again, it's like writing stuff like Billy the kid, right? I'm not, I'm not Billy the kid. And there's Barry, Barry. you know, like Billy the kid is a, is a character who has a different belief system for me. It was a different overall philosophy for me. Um, no, it's not, it's not circumstances. It's definitely not. Um, but you know how it goes. Like, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with everyone. We're here to talk about comics and have some fun. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's why I look at things and try and write stories and characters from perspectives outside of my own. So I can also maybe learn something. There it is. Yeah. And, Got you it. know, Billy's one of those characters that just resonates with people for his honesty, I think for, for his pureness. That's uh Barry's uh, sketch cover there. I see it. Yeah. Had to throw that up. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he is a very honest character. Um, very straightforward, very, say, a straight shooter. Yep. I would say <laughs> your, your pun is correct on that. <laughs> um, but it's just so much fun at the same time. You've got, I mean, we talked about when you, you guys were on before, uh, Luther, uh, I just love that he's he's just cursing all the time. And that's so, so against, like, Billy and, you know, his christian upbringing and yep. the religion it just throws him into this different world it's so shocking to him and then yet he sort of adopts it only in the sense of like it brings him closer to luther yeah. after the point but um barry and i have started working on the next one i'm not going to talk too much about <laughs> it but um again it's like you know, I just want to get inside your chest and see all the little strings that make your heart and your emotions work. So there's going to be some stuff going on in that where I hope people are like, if you read the first or if you read the trade or the first five issues, you're like, oh, my God, where did that come from? But it will also make sense. Um, so there's I mean, a lot there, of, yeah. There was a moment in, in those first five issues where you just kind of reached into our chest and kind of <laughs> pulled real hard. Um not to spoil what what the events were, yeah. but because uh, everyone should go to their, their local shop and pick this up or tell them to order it if they haven't. I think Blue Juice probably will have it on the website too. Blue For Juice sure, yeah. Com. And it'll be at cons. Um, yeah. You know, it, it'll be available if you if you need to get it, you'll find a way to get it. I looked at some websites today um, and some of them were sold out, but I'm sure that there's definitely places. I mean, you know, you can get anything anywhere now, but yeah. yeah. I mean, these, the, I can make comics so people are entertained. So maybe like some of the stuff we were talking about earlier isn't, you know, it buffers some of that. Like, you know, like you want to take a break. My daughter came home from school today and she said every single class was based on what we were just talking about. And she said she just wanted to put her headphones on and do her homework for a couple classes just to, just to, yeah, to take a break from it. And it seemed like, I can understand that. I mean, she wasn't running away from it. She knows it, you know, but yeah, I mean, uh, someone else in the, the comic communities goes by professor comics. He's a middle school teacher. He mm. 
and he he's just like you know I'm I'm usually happy and and post everything, but he's just I mean he's he's scared for the kids, he's scared for his own kids. Like I mean, every morning I drop my daughter for school and I drive away and I feel like you know like anything happens. So like like circumstances saying you know like I make comics to sort of take people out of reality. You know, it's an outlet of saying, you know, go do something, um, go to a different place, go hang out with different people who are not anything like you and, and find a way to, you know, at least maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, whatever it is, however long it takes you to, to read or consume it, just to get out of your own head. And, and you know. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, I was looking at something on the, no, the Kickstarter okay. page, uh, just like my attention was the the shiny yes the shiny yeah that's, that's a, if we i forget what it is maybe it's 23k if we hit 23k i'm going to slide 25 of those randomly into people's um packages um just for fun there's a couple of those kinds of rewards in there um we got a bunch of digital rewards from other creators um i i love that i'm seeing this happen more and more where you know you guys are working together to promote each other's books and, and give the first issue out. So you get them to go check out their next stuff that's coming up. I mean, it's like, you know, just you're, you know, it's the opposite of what the corporations would do yeah. because they don't want to share the market with anyone. They want to dominate the market. But I feel like indie comics are, you know, it's the people in the community more so than it's, you know, it's not like you can go to, 7-Eleven on a spinner rack and pick out any comic you want from anybody. You know what I mean? So like that market's already saturated with all the other stuff and you know, whatever you feel about it, whatever you feel about they're doing with the characters or the content becomes irrelevant when you start to reach out to other people who maybe have like-minded tastes or have, you know, want to offer you something different um, outside of what, you know, what you feel, because I think a lot of times, and this isn't necessarily me, because I think you should bring everyone to the table, but I feel like there's a lot of heavy-handed usage of things on on every side. Like pick pick whatever side you want to be in, and there's someone there with a cudgel. Like you gotta absorb this. You got this is what yeah. you need to be doing. And I think for me, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that to anyone. Like read my comics, don't read my comics. But you know, if you come into it, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have a great time and experience something that maybe you either it gives you a sense of nostalgia or maybe you're not getting it anywhere else and it's fresh to you. Um, right. All those things I think are valuable and, and there's not enough of it except for in these outlets. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's currently, you know, it's reached its backing, but there's so many cool extras that can be added into the campaign. If you hit the certain levels, there's the 23,000 that you were talking about uh, wrestling with demons, which looks pretty cool. Yeah. Andy Kuhn does the artwork on that and uh, it's gorgeous. And um, I, I reached out to people from the last campaign for standstill. And I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at the whole um, rewards thing. Like I'm not good at stretch goals and I don't even really want to call them stretch goals. I'm just going to call them like their bonus. Like when we hit this, you get this. Yeah, I saw um, the uh, ad free additional free awards. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think I mean stretch goal sounds like you're trying to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I guess I'm not. I'm not trying to downplay or or to diminish anything. I just feel like, you know, everything that I do with this stuff 
I just want it, the reason why I would like to fund higher is because then it's going to spread out among the team. It's going to spread out among mm -hmm. the content. I can do more with more. Right. And if you like what I'm doing and if we can get more people to back it, because I know they're out there. I know there's plenty of people that will back these things. It's just, you know, I want to connect with them and I want them to feel comfortable and know. I mean, I turn these Kickstarters around probably faster than, you know, than I would say like at least half in terms of that. I mean, I, yeah. I sent out the last standstill before this, uh, everything was shipped and ready to go the second week of the two weeks it takes to get the funding passed through after it ends. Yeah, you're you're very quick with it. Um, I, I, there's a couple creators that every time it's, it's within, you know, it's like clockwork, within a month, within two weeks, whatever the time period, boom, boom, boom. And then there's others that I mean, you know, you know, ahead of time, they're still working on it. They need the money to pay for it. Yeah, for sure. For the artist sure. or, or something like that. And cool. I, you know, and then especially in times that we're having right now, they get hit with a shortage or yeah. something, but I, it's, it's good that you're able to, you know, always stay on top of that and keep it. Well, I want to stay fresh in people's minds too. I want them to be like, you know, to feel like as much of a, a, monthly feeling as they can you know as, as you know as humanly possible without the because i remember you know i've done it and you know you'd have to have stuff done six months in advance because you'd have to go through the system of soliciting it and then the printing it and then the distribution of it to the stores and everything else um so that's what people have become used to is that synchronized distribution system so with kickstarter you know it's it goes it varies wildly so i try and at least add a sense of security to, you know, when you back this, you know, you're not going to wait a year to get it. You're not going to, you're not going to not know what you're getting um, for the most part. I mean, I've made mistakes for sure. I've definitely, you know, stumbled here and there, but I try to learn from everything I do positive and negative. I mean, that that's, that's all you can, can do when, when those types of things happen is just learn from it and improve. Um, one thing as we were talking about, like the, the stretch goal, stretch goal versus the, yeah. the kind of, I hear stretch goal all the time. I think it, maybe people just keep using it because other Kickstarters use it. That's probably yeah, it's just become an ingrained language to it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that, uh, I saw, I've seen a creator do was do like a, a magnet of the, of the cover which I thought was mm -hmm. cool. So it's like, it's the cover right there. You can throw it on your fridge and it's kind of right. cool. I guess, depending on what type of cover, which cover you choose for oh, this. Wait, hold, yeah. hold on a second. Got some magnets. Uh, I do also like these uh, metal trading cards. So there's a magnet cover. Wait, hold on, let me. Yeah. Uh, from the first, it's one of the one of the cheesecake cooking covers that Antonio Brandao did. Yeah. I saw this yeah. one. This one has some sort of magnets, right? And this one, yeah, there's the monster magnets, and I have some of these that I haven't I haven't done yet. That I just have them because sometimes, you know, I like to get samples of things before I send them out to people because yeah. I want to know exactly. Like, 
I want to know what I'm giving them. So it's hard. You know, you got to make that initial investment. Like you look at all the different things involved with, okay, you're raising money for a Kickstarter, but there's like, there's things you, I don't think everyone knows what you like, what you're doing, what you're trying, you know, in their best interest to look at, you know, if you are going to do extra stuff, like how well is it made? How poorly is, you know, I don't know. That's stuff I think about. Like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, wait, (laughs) what do those stickers look like? Are they? Yeah. These are the, the monster magnets. I thought aprons too was funny. It was a funny thing to do. Um, I did some in the first one where they were like randomly put into uh, blind boxes and I'm never going to make another one of those. So there's only 10 of those. Why don't, I don't you, know if you've seen his uh his why don't you cross sculpture? analysis a custom sculpture? <laughs> Have you seen any of his uh clay sculptures? No, I haven't. I'm sorry. He's uh off the his Instagram later. It's it's pretty good. He's done he's actually worked with a couple Kickstarters before. Oh really? Yeah. Because I look yeah, I looked into 3D printing at one point and I was like, oh my god, that's my that's like six budgets, that's six Kickstarters worth of budgets. To do some of those things so my immediate reaction is like you know how do i manage i mean there's so many things i'd like to do and there's so many yeah buddy i know <laughs> he's just trying to pump me up i'm good i'm good um yeah yeah they're just like there's so much stuff i would like to do but you know i gotta figure out ways to um to cover them yeah uh, well, this is a this is a, a progress shot. Let me see if I can. Uh, the the one he, I think the one he recently did was the was these characters. Okay, Kickstarter. Back that Kickstarter. Yeah. So he did. Um, see if I can figure out how to share screen. To a fault, I like spend so much time in my own stuff that sometimes I miss the like most obvious things. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So that they did like a, they did a special tier that was just like, if you want to get a custom sculpture of a character, you can pay for that, that tier. Oh, that's great. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I'm here showing like that when I have one of his right in front of me too. Which I'm using to hold stickers at the moment, but from Noctera, oh. he made the like the cover A of, of that. Gotcha. Oh, that's great. And uh, I don't know if the batteries are still good or not, but like the flame lights up and everything. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm always like embarrassing myself because I really am so like entrenched in my own head that sometimes like things can be right in front of my face and I won't I won't even see them. So I was like. You know, you talk to me about certain things and I'm like, I know everything about it. And then other things I'm like completely lost and I shouldn't be. So. No, I mean, it, the, I'll say even like the, the comic community out there, the, the world of people going like he, he does some like cons in New York sometimes with the, the clay. Um, it's such a big world, mm-hmm. a big world and a small world all at once. It's true. And, and, I, and at cons for me, it's really hard because I can't, um, can't focus so well when there's, yeah. at a convention. I can last like two hours in a convention and I'm like, I have to go outside and like yeah. 
adjust to everything is just too much for me to process because I'm like as a writer, I'm constantly looking at what things sound like, what things look like, what they smell like, like all that stuff. So sometimes it just overwhelms me. Absolutely. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of the the hour. Anything else you want to say about uh, Bleeding Pulp? Um, we are working on uh, issue three. And I mean, I'm in love with the story. I think it's it's there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that's going to start coming forward. Um, Annabelle is so fun because she's so she's so driven and sassy and angry, and she's she's one of those characters that's wrestling with her own inner problems. And so she's she's almost in a sense, you know, she she's on this righteous path, but she's also completely lost at the same time. So like in issue two, when this character comes in and, and completely validates what everybody's been invalidating since the, the night her family was killed on the in the first issue, it becomes this sort of thing where she was feeling so much guilt about not being able to protect her brothers and she was very self-destructive. And all of a sudden it went from her purpose was to destroy herself to her purpose was to figure out what happened. And now she has a solid lead. So... Um, Aside from all the really fun, there's like massive monster fighting in issue two. Um, Love it. It's crazy. And, and, and um, the idea of, of, you know, again, going back to Alabama and um, providing that she survives long enough that I wanted to do this thing where she was uncovering a mystery that was a lot bigger than herself and a lot bigger than what we even as the readers were seeing. So hopefully I can, you know, I can pull that off. And in the meantime, you know, there's, there's scenes in my head, especially with those um, butcher knives that like, is going to be nuts when it actually happens. Um, but I always, I always worry about like, how am I going to get to the point where that scene in my head is perfectly shaped around you know, everything around it makes so much sense that it makes that scene exciting to everyone and not just me. Um, yeah. so it's, and that's another thing with these books that I can't, I couldn't do before. Again, you know, you had to have six month overviews. You had to stick to the overviews. You could only use characters that weren't being used by other people. So for me, this is like, I might be rewriting over the artwork before, you know, before the Kickstarter is over. Like as soon as the artwork comes in, I might sit on it for a while, or I might be writing right up until the point where it has to go to the printer. So that's kind of that organic process is in these books. And I think a lot of times you can feel it like with standstill. I can't tell you how many times I rewrote nine through 12 and reshuffled scenes and went back in and rediscovered things and, and um, stuff with Tamora's character came out that I didn't even intend. And I was all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I have to change all this dialogue because this is who she is. And I thought she was this person. Yeah. I realized, you know, um, that's like my you're, thing. you're living in the world at, with the characters almost. Yeah. That's what always upset me about mainstream comics is that I couldn't, by the time I got settled into them, they were canceled. So, and people would say that, be like, it's getting good now because yeah. I, I can't work. You know, a lot of that stuff is very like paint by numbers. Um, you're yeah. so constricted into doing things methodically because it's part of a larger architecture for the publisher, which I get, I understand it. But like I said with Jonah Hex earlier, no one bothered us. No one said, with very few exceptions, like 
you know, this scene, the dog can't eat someone's vomit off the floor or something like that. Um, with a few exceptions, they were just like, go ahead and do it. You know, I had, we had a scene in, um, there's a Phil Noto issue early on in the series where this interracial couple is in the deep South and they, they stumble upon this, these people in the swamp in their house and the woman has the baby and the people who own the house disapprove of interracial marriage. And so they immediately take the baby from the mom and just throw it off the railing into the alligator's mouth off the thing. And my editor lost <laughs> his mind. <laughs> He's like, you cannot do that. I was like, evil is evil. Like what? Like, call it out. Like right. make people feel something instead of like, you know, a shadow on a wall. Like we don't live in the shadow on the wall thing anymore. We live in the world where, you know, evil has to be called out for what it is. So, I mean, but for the most part, like I said, like the freedom of doing that book, I can't imagine you could do that at all anymore at either one of the, at Marvel or DC without right. 10 people doing a checklist of what's allowed, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, some some team that's looking around across what everything's coming out and right. can't contradict contradict each other and yeah. yeah this is not how this character acts anymore this character has to follow this line i mean because i was involved in the very exterior of civil war and i remember thinking like i'm like what it's <laughs> like we're gonna change all these characters to fit some kind of modern political ideology that at the time I thought it was a passing phase, but apparently it doesn't want to go away. But I thought right. as a gimmick, it was kind of, you know, not my thing, but and so, yeah. And I've brought civil war back how many times now? <laughs> In the I don't even know. Cause I honestly don't follow like 99% of the yeah. mainstream stuff. I, I there, there's a couple characters that I, I, I follow but it's the characters more so than sure anything else um and that's what keeps me in a little a little bit of marvel mostly there's never been a character i think dc that really like has resonated with me sure i can understand that um there's been some fun ones like i i harley like yeah always a fun character to read but there's not like a, a connection there well, I, I find it interesting for me, obviously, having grown up with most of the stuff that, that is new to everyone in theaters, I should say, that I never in my life would I have imagined that probably my favorite franchise is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Even down to the video game. I played the video game. I was I was like, in, it was joy. It was pure joy playing that game. I was like, I was 13 years old again, and I was enjoying Marvel Comics as Marvel Comics was. And, I keep, um, keep telling myself I'll buy that. I'm waiting for a good sale. <laughs> well, I um I have the Xbox Pass, so it's like all that stuff's on there. So yeah. I'm waiting to get it on like Steam on my sure. computer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, looking forward to this one. Uh, 21 days left on the campaign. Yep. Uh, so go back it. Go sign check up it out. and back. I'll do it. Go sign up and back it. Right. It's going to be fantastic, kids. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's get that to, you know, let's hit all those those bonus goals, right? Yep. We had a, well, we had a good day today. Why. Today was a good day. So thank you to everyone that backed uh, yeah. all the way through. But today was a big bonus. Like we were at 420 at one point. 
And um, those 11 backers really pushed it up closer to the next stretch goal. Yeah, I think when I um, pulled this up earlier, it was below one, uh, below 432. So it was like, it was yeah, like, it was, yeah, yeah, it was 420 when I sent out uh, a message to everyone today because I did an update on, yeah. um, on standstill because uh, Branko just showed me layouts for this scene in, in um, issue 11 that's just nuts, introduces some new characters and a dog. And um, I got to check my email. So I did the update <laughs> on that and just kind of, and I, you know, I had to tell people about Billy because that's in there too. Yeah. The update. Um, so, but it was 420 uh, backers. So those 11 backers really, um, really pushed the number up. And I greatly appreciate, obviously, everyone getting yeah. behind the project. And, you know, it, it's funny because you a lot of times I feel like I'm operating in a vacuum. But there's definitely, you know, there's a core group of people who will come out and say, you know, that they like it or, they, you know, they have comments about it. You know, and I, I love the feedback, um, you know, positive and negative. I mean, nothing's. Yeah. You know, I've, had, I've had my fair share of scathing reviews online um but you know i mean for the most part i mean people really like these books and um i hope the more you know the more people that post comments and and talk about you know how much they enjoyed it i remember on standstill one guy was like that last page on issue 10 was just nuts and um you know that's it's, that, that's a response yeah that's that makes it all you know knowing because i'm in this I'm in this for the backers. It's not like, you know, with, you know, DC, you got to make sure Marvel, you got to make sure you hit your numbers and you, you know, otherwise you get canceled. And, and realistically, it's, I, I'm working for everyone who backs these projects for the people who read these books are the most important. The, that's the audience. It's not, it's not me trying to please anyone else other than myself and the people that support these books. And I'm grateful and lucky enough to have them. Yeah. And, one last shout out to your your artist on this. Uh, is it Rui? Is that how you pronounce it? Rui Silveira, yeah. Rui Silveira, just fantastic artwork. Fantastic. Yeah, he's doing it. He's doing a great job, and um, he awesome. shifted gears. I mean, he did. He did. Um, that's his first digital stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, I eat, I eat monsters issue one. He had just transitioned to doing digital from paper. Wow. So it has a totally different feel to it. And of course, uh, Thago Rendau, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name properly or not, who does the color. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was Roy's guy and he was like, you know, bring yeah, bring Thago in. And I was like, fine. And then since then, like, I have such a great relationship with these guys too. They're like, we talk about our families. We talk about, it's not just like, cause you know, I, I had instances where editors wouldn't let me talk to artists. Oh. I had one editor say to me, you don't talk to the artist. I talk to the artist. And I was like, well, that's weird, but okay. Yeah. Right. But, you know, like we like, especially between, you know, I talked to Barry, I talked to Branko, who does Standstill, and I, and I talked to uh, Roy and Thago and, and Sean Forney, who does Colors. Um, you know, we have like, I have relationships with these people. It's not just, and then, you know, that's what I look for. So if like, if I can't establish a relationship with someone, then it's more difficult to try and have them understand where I'm coming from or where they're coming from and make sure that everyone's happy. So at the end of the day, that's really like, if you're not having fun making these comics, there's, you know, that's half the thing. You should be having fun doing this. This is why we go into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 
any any last thoughts uh, or where can people find you? Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm off social media for the most part. Um, I have a newsletter, which if you follow me on, um, if you go, if you see me on Kickstarter, there's tons of opportunities to follow that. And I'm on Instagram. Usually if you, and my website is jvgray.com, um, jvgray.com. And then you can add, you know, you can access stuff from there. Um, I just not, I, I, I would rather cancel out all the noise and just like deal directly with, that's one of the things I like, again, about Kickstarter is that if I send a message out, it's sending a message out to the people that mm-hmm. I want to talk to the most because I don't want to get wrapped up in every other thing that happens on social media. And I, I got real tired of it real quick. And they track you on everything. You know, so you have a conversation with someone in your house. And the next thing you know, if you mention Tostitos, you, your <laughs> Instagram feed is filled with Tostitos ads. And you're like, what the hell is going on? We know what everyone is going to have on their Instagram now. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> I want to get kicked back. I remember um, I posted someone's artwork. There, he he had painted these um, Chuck Taylors with a Batman thing on it, and um, they thought that it was that I was the artist, and they asked me if they could use it. And I was like, "Yeah, you can use it, but I want royalties." And they were like, "Ha ha ha!" And I was like, <laughs> "I mean, not that I would, you know." It's just kind of funny how everyone is like constantly. If you're not pimping yourself, someone else is pimping you. And it's just, that's why I would rather have more control over it than, and Facebook is constantly rejecting. I have a, a, a Facebook page for Spicy Pulp and it's constantly flagging my covers. <laughs> I did actually see an ad pop up for, I think it was for for this from the Spicy Pulp page, but I didn't, I wasn't following it. Yeah. I, I think... I'm like, well, they give you a choice when you do the ads of demographics. So if you're like, if you like comics, yeah, under a certain category, it'll see, you know, it'll test you out and see if, you know, if you're the audience for it. Probably pulled my data that I'd been on the bleeding everywhere you go, starter somehow. Yeah, it knew every single website I go through, like, we have cookies, want to do the plan? I'm like, block third party, block advertisers, block. But I mean, it's exhausting. Absolutely. You need an assistant to do that stuff. Right. You imagine what the metaverse is going to be like. Um, You're literally going to need a metaverse assistant that's going to have to screen all of your traffic and all of your browsing history. Let's stay out of the metaverse for now. <laughs> it will be inescapable. <laughs> They're going to throw us into it. <laughs> yeah. It'll be just like they did with Facebook. A lot of people can't function without Facebook. Yeah. Wow. You know, friends on there. I mean, I had to stop talking to people that I don't mind talking to. I mean, there's a bunch of people I'm glad I don't talk to anymore, but you know, they get you with that and people don't want to let go of it because they're like, this is the only connection I have to so-and-so who lives in Siam, you know? Yeah. So it's messed up. We'll, we'll, we'll be in the, the Wally future, right? By and large. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thanks again for, uh, for coming on talking about uh, everything that's going on right now. So many. No, man. Thank you for having me and thank you for all your support. And I appreciate your voice being out there on behalf of these books and, and, you know, have me on, you know, your show to talk about this stuff. It's, you know, I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Um, And thanks everyone who's been hanging out in the chat. Yeah. I can't see everyone because the chat's like blank on my thing, but. Oh, you might be in the private chat. Thanks for listening to me. Like uh, Babylon. (laughs) And shout out to Barry if you're still in here. Circumstances. 
Yeah. Uh, go, go back, i.e. Monsters over on Kickstarter. Go pick up Billy the Kit at your comic shop or online and be on the lookout for other projects coming from Justin Gray. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, circumstances are right. G's um, Kickstarter was just like, damn it. Just wow. <laughs> just wow. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. And it's great. And his art is just fantastic. So I'm very happy for him. Even though I don't know him. But he did a great Billy the Kid cover. So it's all yeah. good by me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.